I invite you to turn in uh, your Bibles this morning <clears throat> with me to Acts chapter 19, page uh, 1726 in your pew Bibles, page 1726, Acts chapter 19, and we'll read the first seven verses there. <clears throat> so last week we, um, we looked at Paul in Athens. Since then, he has uh, gone, traveled south to Corinth, where he met uh, a couple of disciples by the name of Priscilla and Aquila. He traveled with them by, by ship across the Aegean to the east, and they ended up in Ephesus, where Paul did a little uh, more reasoning in the synagogue, and, uh, but he only stayed there a brief time, left Priscilla and Aquila there to continue to work uh, with the church. We also meet a new disciple in chapter 18 uh, by the name of Apollos. And we'll talk a little bit more about Apollos during the message. Uh, but he met up with Priscilla and Aquila in Ephesus. Sounds like he did some teaching there as well. And, um, and then we get to chapter 19 where Paul actually comes back to Ephesus and, um, and does some more teaching there. So let's, uh, let's pick it up. Verse 1 of chapter 19, again, page 1726. Uh, just please keep your Bibles open as we, as we look at the text this morning. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, Then what baptism did you receive? <clears throat> John's baptism, they replied. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sisters and brothers in, in Jesus Christ, when I was, uh, I think this was back in grade school at some point, and... Um, I have vague memories of this, but I'm pretty sure it happened. <laughs> you know how that goes. Um, but we were all out for recess one day, and we came back in, and there was something written on the, on the board, and it was something to the effect of, Carl loves Jane. And uh, we all looked at that, and we started laughing, right, as, as little kids do. It, all of us, I think, except for Jane, who started crying. And um, I don't know about Carl, but he didn't feel too good about that either, I expect. Anyway, when the teacher finally came back, back into the room and found her room in chaos and saw what was on the board, she did what, um, what teachers did back then, this kind of thing. She, she lined us all up, and then she peered into our eyes, each one of us as individuals, and said something like, Peter, did you write that on the board? Now, <clears throat> you might imagine what that's like when you're a little kid and your teacher is... is looking at you, right? Even though I didn't write those words, um, I felt her look, right? I felt defeated. 
her look was piercing, it was probing, it was convicting, and it was so, so utterly personal. And, and I think of that moment <clears throat> when, when I read what happens here in Acts chapter 19. I mean, think of, think of this as, as you read it. Here's the Apostle Paul. He comes to, to Ephesus. He finds some disciples there. We're not sure how he finds them, where they come from exactly. But he says to them, have you received the Holy Spirit? And that question had to bore holes in them. It had to make them feel uneasy, incomplete, maybe even guilty. Have you received the Holy Spirit? I mean, what's he, what's he asking here? Is he probing them? You know, do you speak in tongues? I don't hear you speaking in tongues. Do you say amen and praise the Lord during worship? Do you raise your hands when you sing? Is that what Paul is asking? Have you received the Holy Spirit? Because aren't those the kinds of things that we think of as sort of our proofs that, that the Holy Spirit is really is really present in our lives. What is Paul getting at here? What's he asking? Well, the truth is, we don't fully know, okay? Historically, this text has led to far more questions than it has to answers. Questions like, what is really the relationship of baptism to the Holy Spirit? Are those things always really tightly, um, tightly combined, sort of in a mechanical sort of way? Or, or what does this text teach us about baptism itself? Is there a lot that we can learn here about, about baptism, about Molly's baptism, for instance? Or what does it tell us about, you know, how many times you need to be baptized? Is there sort of a, an initial baptism into, into Christian life, into Christian identity, and then there's sort of a, a second baptism on top of that where you receive the Holy Spirit and you really become productive as a Christian, let's say? There are all sorts of questions about this text, and honestly, I think many of them just take us far afield from what this text may really be about. And in my mind, that's discipleship. Okay, this is a text about discipleship. Notice in verse 1, we're told that, that Paul found some disciples in Ephesus. Disciples. Now, usually when we read that word, disciples, anywhere in the New Testament, it's about disciples of Christ, followers of Jesus. And yet I think it's a fair question here to ask, are these disciples really disciples of Christ? Are they really Christian disciples? And I think the answer here appears to be no. No, they're not. Why? Why do I conclude that? Well, it's, it's because of Paul's questions, all right? Have you received the Holy Spirit? Why does he ask that? Well, because believers in Jesus typically receive the Holy Spirit. Those two things seem to go together. That's the norm. That's what we would expect. Did you receive the Holy Spirit, he asks. No, no, they reply. In fact, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. Um, let's go on. Well, what, what baptism did you receive, he asks. Again, why does he ask that? 
Well, once more, that seems to be the norm, right? People who are, are baptized into Jesus Christ, the norm is for them to receive the Holy Spirit into their life. What baptism did you receive? Paul asks. John's baptism, they say. And here, I think, is where we find the root of the problem. Okay? Here's where we find the root of the problem. These disciples have been baptized into John. Now, let's take a little background here, right? Um, I mentioned Apollos. So, Luke, um, in the account just before this chapter, so it kind of comes at the end of, of chapter 18, he introduces us to the character of Apollos. And Apollos has been doing some teaching in Ephesus, like I, like I said. And listen to how Luke describes Apollos in chapter 18, verse 24 and following. He describes him as a learned man, um, having a thorough knowledge of the Bible. He's instructed in the way of the Lord. He spoke with great fervor, and he taught about Jesus accurately says Luke. He taught about Jesus accurately, but, and then you get the but, but he knew only the baptism of John. He knew only the baptism of John. And so what had to happen there is Priscilla and Aquila, we read, had to explain to him the way of the Lord more adequately. Okay? They had to mentor him up on the things that he didn't know. He had a lack of knowledge, and so they had to do some teaching here. Now, if you think about this, it was Apollos who was actually doing some teaching in Ephesus. So he was training other disciples. Now, wouldn't it be natural that those disciples of Apollos would have the same shortcomings that Apollos did? In fact, it was probably Apollos who baptized them in the first place. And so their baptism was also a baptism in John. That's what they say. Kind of works like this. Um, some of you know that I tinker with cars, right? And um, every once in a while, one of you will say to me something like, uh, well, you're a mechanic. And I just want to stop you right there and say, no, 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 I'm not a mechanic. I know just enough to be dangerous, all right? In fact, my whole life I would have to go to Jackie's dad, who was a mechanic, right? A real mechanic in the flesh, and I would call him and I, I'd say, what do I do here? What do, this is before YouTube. What do I do here? What do I do here? Now, now YouTube is the master mechanic, right? Um, but I was in no way a mechanic, but I found something else out. My son... One of my sons thinks I was a mechanic. And so he learned a few things as I was, you know, tinkering with cars. He turned the wrenches, he watched me, and, and now he tends to work on his own cars. And uh, I look at him and I cringe sometimes. I'm like, what are you doing? And then I realize that he learned this from me. Okay? And all of my inadequacies are showing up in, in him and his work. And and that's what's going on here in Ephesus, right? Apollo, or Apollos, wasn't up to speed. And yet he was teaching others. And it's these others that Paul encounters in Ephesus. These people need more training in the way of God also. And so you ask the question, well, were they disciples of Jesus Christ? And I would say no. 
No, they weren't disciples of Jesus. They were disciples of John. They were disciples of John. And therefore, they needed more training themselves. In fact, what I would say is that they need another Pentecost. They need another Pentecost. Now, let me try and explain what I mean by that. Throughout the book of Acts, and we've, we've sort of noted this as we've gone along, that, that there was the big Pentecost, but that seems to be followed up by other Pentecosts as well. All right? Let me, let me try and explain that. Um, we all know that when we read the book of Acts, right, there are, there are these strategic places in Acts where, where the big thing comes. The mission you read about in chapter 1, right? Jesus says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and then to Judea and Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. And we have seen those stages of, of the mission of Christ, we have seen them marked by the coming of the Holy Spirit. And by all the signs of Pentecost, the speaking in tongues, uh, the joy of the Lord that fills them, okay? So in chapter 1, we read that mission of Christ, and then we read chapter 2, and we see that the Holy Spirit is poured out on all the Jews in Jerusalem, on the Jewish church, right? Next stage, we get to chapter 8. And here, the gospel has gone to now the Samaritans. And that's where Peter and John come to check out, is this, is this a real thing? And sure enough, yeah, they have. They've received the Holy Spirit. Well, let's baptize them as well. And, and you find those two things together again, and they're speaking in tongues, and it's like God saying, this is me, okay? We moved out from Jerusalem. We, we, we crossed some bridges, and now we're in Samaria. Then you get to chapters 10 and 11, and here we find the Spirit poured out on Cornelius and on the Gentiles in Caesarea. And again, God affirms that this is his work, going to the Gentiles by pouring out the Spirit, baptizing them. They speak in tongues. There's the joy of the Lord. And we see that the gospel is moving out, moving out, extending God's reach. Okay? Affirmation after affirmation that the gospel was intended to go out. Now, here in chapter 19, at the beginning of what's often called Paul's third missionary journey, here again we find the Spirit poured out, we find speaking in tongues, we find baptism. Only this time, this time the Spirit is poured out on inadequately instructed members of the church in Asia. Okay? They are the ones who now speak in tongues. They are the ones who the Holy Spirit falls on and are baptized, inadequately instructed members of the church. Friends, what Luke is telling us is that this also represents a new phase in the spread of of the gospel message. Those first three examples, they're all about the Spirit reaching out. This is an example of the Spirit now reaching in and reaching down, down into the hearts and the minds of His people. The gospel is extended to the ends of the earth, but now 
Now the church needs to grow. Now the church needs to mature within. The church needs to be instructed. Okay? The church needs to learn its doctrine. And Luke is showing us the signs again that God is in this. God is beginning a new phase of ministry. The gospel will now be fleshed out more thoroughly, more completely. And I just want to point out four areas, I think, that Paul directs these Ephesian disciples to grow in. Okay? Because I think they apply to our lives as well. In fact, I just want to point out too. First, we're introduced to these disciples. Luke just tells us there were some disciples in Ephesus. The last verse we read this morning, what does it say? There were 12 of them. Does that ring a bell? 12 disciples at all? I mean, that's an image throughout the New Testament, not just of literal 12 disciples, but it's an image of the church, the foundation of the church. And it's as if Luke is telling us the things Paul says here, they don't just apply to these 12 people in Ephesus, they apply to the whole church. So, so let's look at these a minute. Four areas, I think, where Paul um, wants his, uh, the disciples of Christ to grow in. The first is belief. Okay? These disciples are inadequate in their belief. They're inadequate in their belief. How so? Well, their allegiance is divided, isn't it? Their allegiance is divided. They're, they're not just followers of Jesus. They're followers of, of Jesus and of John. In fact, you might even say they're followers of John, and now they're trying to, ch- to tack Jesus on top of that. And friends, it doesn't work that way. Divided allegiances show. They show up in our lives. They show up in how we live. Paul took one look at these disciples and he asked them that question. Okay? Is is the Holy Spirit in you? What tipped him off to that, do you think? That the Holy Spirit wasn't there. What tipped him off? Was it the fact that they weren't speaking in tongues? I have my doubts. I have my doubts that that's what tipped him off. My guess is something more like this, that, that those disciples looked a lot more like John the Baptist than they looked like Jesus. I mean, maybe they lived out in the desert instead of in the city. Maybe they ate locusts and wild honey instead of soup and bread like everybody else. Maybe they liked to dress in camel's hair and leather You know, maybe it was all black leather. Maybe they looked like Johnny Cash, and so they were very easy to spot. And if so, maybe they were just very dour sorts of people, right? Tall and dark and dour. Maybe there was no joy in their gatherings when they got together. Maybe there was no grace in their words. And maybe, maybe there was no peace in their hearts. And so Paul took one look at them and he said, is the Holy Spirit in you? You see, you can't worship Jesus and John. You can't divide up your allegiance. It it shows. In fact, you can't worship Jesus and anything else. You can't worship Jesus and country. It shows. 
You can't worship Jesus and sports. It shows. You can't worship Jesus and family. You can't worship Jesus and works or and intellect and pedigree. You can't worship Jesus and any of those things because it shows. One of the ways it shows, in fact, is that we find ourselves actually longing for the Holy Spirit, longing for more, longing for more meaning, more comfort, more assurance, more purpose in our lives. But notice, notice something here with me, okay? Um, when Paul hears their answer, you know, did you receive the Holy Spirit? And he hears their answer, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. What does Paul say? Well, then receive the Holy Spirit. No. No. What he says is, you need to believe in Jesus. You see, you don't get the Holy Spirit and then Jesus. You get Jesus and then the Holy Spirit. That's how it works. What Paul is saying is, you need Jesus and only Jesus, nothing else. And when you have Jesus, yes, you will have the Holy Spirit in your life. They need to grow in belief, okay? The second area that, that Paul wants them to grow is the area of knowledge, knowledge. They are inadequate in their knowledge. And so Paul has to give them instruction, and he instructs them in the baptism of John and how that baptism actually falls short. Look at verse 4. He says, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. They didn't understand that. <clears throat> it had to be revealed to them. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. In other words, John's baptism is a, re is a preparatory kind of baptism. It makes you ready for something more to come. It makes you hungry for something more. It makes you hungry for a Savior. John was the one who pointed out our sin to us. He pointed out the fact that we have rebelled against God, that we fall short of all that God demands of us. He kept pointing us to the Savior, Jesus, but it's only Jesus who can actually give us what we need. And that had to be made clear to these disciples. It's only Jesus who can actually save us from our sins. He's the only one who can actually give us the forgiveness that we need. Think, think of this in terms of, of the offices uh, that were present in Israel, okay? In the Old Testament. They had three offices. The office of prophet, priest and king you've heard of those offices right which office did john the baptist fill he was a prophet and prophets did what prophets taught prophets taught about the word of god the commands of god and then prophets also pointed out to people where we fell short of the commands of god where we needed to work where we needed to repent but that's all john could do he could point out those things. He could say, you know, I can teach you the law. And that's where it stopped. Jesus, we say, filled all three of those offices. 
Jesus, too, came teaching, right? And Jesus came prophesying. He came pointing out where we were sinful, where we were fallen, where we were broken. But Jesus also came as our priest. He didn't just say, well, you have sinned over here, and so you're going to hell. Jesus came and said, you have sinned, you have fallen short, and I have offered myself as a sacrifice for you so that you can be forgiven and made one with God forever. You can be a child of God. That's what a priest does. And then Jesus Christ was a king as well. The Heidelberg Catechism tells us that in his office as priest, he didn't just bring us into the kingdom, into the freedom that we have in Christ, but he can hold us there. He can protect us from our enemies. He can make sure that we never lose that freedom. That's what a king does. And he can also then teach us how to keep the will of our God. What Paul is saying is, you people need to grow. You need to be instructed in these things. You need to see that Jesus is far, far more complete than John could ever be. You need to grow in the area of knowledge, okay? The third area where um, Paul sees inadequacy is in their experience, the experience of these disciples. They were inadequate in their experience. Remember, the baptism of John could not bring them the Holy Spirit. And so their experience was lacking. In this regard, it might help, I think, to remember Jesus' exchange in Matthew 11 with the disciples of John, with John the Baptist's actual disciples. And there in Matthew 11, Jesus tells us who John really is and what John's ministry was all about. You may remember his words. Jesus said, you know, John was the greatest of prophets. He was the greatest of prophets. How, how was he the greatest of prophets? I mean, we're talking about Isaiah. We're talking about Elijah, all those prophets. Jeremiah, John the Baptist was the greatest of all of them. How? Because he was nearest to Jesus. Okay? He was the final prophet. He was the closest to Jesus himself, to the coming of the Savior who all the prophets talked about. He was the greatest of prophets. But then, then Jesus goes on to say, but he, John the Baptist, is less than even the least in the kingdom of heaven. Wow. The greatest of prophets, but less than the least in the kingdom. What does that mean? Well, what Jesus is saying, friends, is that John, John can take us right up to the border of the kingdom, but he can't take us in. John the Baptist is like Moses, right? Moses could bring the people to the land of Canaan, but he couldn't lead them in. That was Joshua. That was Joshua who brought them into the land, who gave them their inheritance. They possessed the land. They ate the milk and honey that the land flowed with. They actually possessed it, and that's Jesus. John can take us to the border, but Jesus actually takes us into the land, into the kingdom where we experience the goodness of the new creation. How do we experience that? Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit, the first fruits of what is to come. And the Holy Spirit gives us what? He gives us a taste of the kingdom. 
He gives us the real peace, the real joy, the real satisfaction of the kingdom of heaven. Things that can never be taken away from us. Assurance, assurance, assurance. Paul wants these folks to grow in their experience. He wants for these disciples what even the least in the kingdom possess. And that is the ability to say there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. He wants them to be able to say nothing, nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus. And we can say that. We can have that kind of assurance. How? In Jesus Christ, who gives us the first fruits of the Spirit, the first fruits of the kingdom. It's a lock. We know that we belong to him. The Heidelberg Catechism talks about that as well, right? This is what the Catechism says about the Holy Spirit. The Spirit makes me share in Christ and in all his blessings. Okay, all his blessings. Jesus himself was assured that he was the Son of God. Remember his baptism? You are my beloved Son, and with you I am well pleased. Jesus had no doubt that he was a child of his Father, and his blessings become ours. That's the message to Molly this morning in her baptism. You are my beloved child. And to all of his baptized children, with you I am well pleased. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. The final thing, the final area where Paul wants his disciples to grow is in the area of power. The area of power. They are inadequate in their possession of power. And when we're talking about power here, I'm not talking about the flashy gifts of the Holy Spirit. I don't think Paul is saying, you know, you folks are inadequate, you, you, know, you don't speak in tongues, you don't, you don't do miracles, you don't prophesy. I don't think that's what Paul is saying. And yet, he is saying that they lack in power. If they lack the Holy Spirit, they lack in power. What kind of power are we talking about? Well, some of those gifts belong to some of us as believers, but all of us as believers have received a different kind of power, and it's this. We have the ability to glorify God in our living. You have that. The ability to give glory to God in your life, in your everyday routines. You can glorify God. You have the power to resist temptation to sin. You do. That is your power from the Holy Spirit. It belongs to all of us. The devil cannot have his way with you if you rely on the Holy Spirit. You have the ability to do good works. You can. You have the power to bless your neighbors through your work. Your work is not in vain when done by the power of the Spirit. You have the wisdom to guide your children in the ways of Christ. Don't doubt that. The Holy Spirit will give you that power. We have to walk with that Spirit and keep in step with that Spirit. And that power, friends, is available to each and every one of us. Friends, 
how great would it be if the Apostle Paul walked in here this morning and he peered into your eyes and in a very personal way he said, you know what? I see you've got the Holy Spirit in your life. But wouldn't it be even better? Wouldn't it be even better if if your friends at work or if your children or maybe your spouse if they looked into your eyes and they said, you know what? I see the Holy Spirit in you. That's the goal. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want more of you. We want you to be our only Savior. The only one in whom we trust. The only one that we worship. We don't want our allegiance to be divided with anything else. We want to grow in knowledge. We want to grow in the experience of your spirit. We want to grow in the power of your spirit. We want to share in all the benefits of Jesus Christ. Give us true belief. Give us your Holy Spirit. And help us grow. Help us be the kind of disciples who continue to grow in all of these areas so that we can continue to to be your witnesses in your world. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.